0: This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than one hundred and eighty thousand titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit Audibletrial.com slash Trek FM. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Denise
1: Crosby. I play Tasha Yar on Star Trek The Next Generation, and you're listening to Trek FM.
0: Welcome listeners to another episode of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Amy Nelson. Justin is away this week. So joined with me is, as he is always, the fabulous, Who wonderful
2: Joe Keegan. Yes, I'm here. Imagine Justin being away and Amy not being away. That's Amy, have I told you you're my favorite host Oh, of
0: now I get it. All right. It's
2: so true. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes Justin, really.
0: Yeah. Now that he's gone, the truth can come out.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh... Are we all happy to be finished for the holidays? Oh, my
0: gosh. It's like the best feeling. And my students are so cute. They're like, see you next decade, Miss Nelson. I'm like, oh they're smart.
2: Yes, next decade. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. I feel like we should be living in the future and there should be flying cars and things.
0: We need that. We need we transporters need more than flying cars. Well, I don't know flying cars could get me to Scotland faster.
2: True. Yeah. Although if I was to have one piece of technology to help with my commute to work, it would be an Iron Man suit. Mm. I would like have a, a special um, door in my classroom to the outside and I would just, I would open it and just fly out and fly home I'd be home in like 15 minutes. It'd be amazing. Yeah. So good. How long is your commute?
0: Seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I barely have Mine time is... to listen to a podcast. It's very frustrating, actually. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it must take you like two weeks to listen to one episode. Of the <laughs> it does
0: sometimes.
2: <laughs> wow. I can listen to two episodes a day. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Oh, to live closer to one.
0: Yes. Well, since Justin isn't here, we're going to hold off on our Babel Conference feedback. Um So let's introduce, I'm very, very excited. We have a wonderful guest on with us. I'm more excited. No, I am. And this is Christian Alonso. And so Christian, we have met, well, many times you and I have met, um, but most recently I came out to visit you. But we, you know, have done things in LA. You've come to STLV like you are an awesome listener who does all these Trek things. So welcome to Earl Grey. Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me. I, I feel like an honorary member of the Earl Grey crew already. It's a little intimidating to be around two famous podcasters, though. You well.
2: know, some people are just lucky, aren't they? <laughs> you should be hugely privileged. <laughs> uh, and I've met you as well, Christian. Yep, twice, twice, I, I think, now. Now. I love your wee face. Oh, Christian.
0: So, Christian, this is the first time that you have been on Earl Grey. You do the uh, roundtables on Trek FM, the uh, patrons roundtables. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your Trek story, how you got started, and and how Trek is in your life now?
1: Okay. So, I first found Star Trek in late middle school, and I, I even remember the first episode I watched. It was Time's Arrow Part One, and... Star Trek very quickly became an escape for me. It was at a very serious time in my life where I was being bullied at school, and I so I just escaped in either the series or into the novels. And too bad Justin, Justin isn't here to talk about novels since we could probably do a whole two-hour podcast on them <laughs> and probably more. <laughs> and so now Star Trek has just become... Uh, And it still is the safe space for me to go to when I need a place to run, when I need a place for comfort. And it's still a major part of my life. And like both of you, I'm also an educator. And I took your cue, Amy, this year, and I've made my own little Star Trek corner in my classroom.
0: I know. It's so awesome. Yes.
1: None of my students know what Star Trek is before, but now... They're beginning to know what a starship is and Mm -hmm. some of the characters.
0: (laughs) Very good.
2: And do your students still say that they prefer Star Wars? Just Most of
1: my students prefer Marvel, but...
2: Okay.
0: He's in elementary land.
1: We're all about superheroes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's with the little
1: wee ones. Superheroes and Peppa Pig is my life
2: (laughs) at work. Wow. 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 Although you could argue that teachers are superheroes, really. Yes. We are the real superheroes. Yeah.
0: But Christian, you always wear your calm badge and every day, and I have started wearing mine a little bit more because of your uh, good example. So.
1: Oh, good, nice. I, I This last school year, I wore them kind of off and on, but then this school year I said, you know what, every day. And so even if I wear a sweater like I am today, I'll have one on
2: underneath my sweater. Mm-hmm. I've not, it's not occurred to me to do that yet.
0: Joe. I don't
2: know if I, I know, I don't like, think it's something I would do though. Well, there's. I get why people do it. Yeah. Um, but I don't. Just wear a combat badge. But, I, yeah, I just wear a, a, like a shirt, like a button down shirt to work. So.
0: Yeah. Then you put a combat badge sense. right there.
2: Bam. It'll look like a brooch.
0: Not on like a, a guy. It, what if it does look <laughs> like a brooch?
2: Oh, true, true. It's 2019. We can do what we want, can't we? Um, yeah, I'll have a think about okay. it. Okay. That's a good idea. Yeah.
0: At least for hashtag Trek Tuesday, where every Tuesday, yes. just once a week.
2: That's how I started. Okay. Well, start like a, it's like a gateway drug mm-hmm. then, yeah. You start until you're doing it every day, every hour, of every week. Um, I had to cordon off my Star Trek shrine in my classroom. It's in the corner. So I've got a piano in front of it now. Oh. So people actually can't physically get to it. Mm-hmm. Cause kids want to go up and touch things with their grimy little fingers.
0: Don't they ask That's you my first? Star
2: Trek stuff. Well, sometimes they'll just wander up and I'll go, go get away, be gone, Satan.
0: My kids know they better ask.
2: I have actually made a little. It's like a, a quiet space in my classroom. There's an aquarium. There's a piano, and there's my Star Trek shrine. Yeah. and it's
0: it's your happy place, right? You just, just As, walk yeah. into that area, and it just yeah. Mm -hmm. relieves the stress and anyways um yes (laughs) trek is wonderful (laughs) so christian you're ready to enjoy the break because you have two weeks off as well yeah
1: i am so ready i am beyond ready
2: (laughs) Mm. yeah Do we all go back on the sixth yes yes I,
1: i do
0: I know. Yay. All right. Well, let's get to today's discussion. Now, Christian, you chose and wanted to talk about Lwaxana, Troy, and Half a Life. So tell us a little bit, like, why did you choose uh, Lwaxana and specifically this episode?
1: So I feel like Loxana always got a little bit more negativity than her character deserved. I, I don't want to use the term toxic fandom, but I think a big group of people would dismiss her character even during the series and especially afterwards. And Majel was a ama- and an amazing person, number one. Number two, as an actor, she was fantastic. I mean, she played three on-screen roles throughout the Star Trek series, and each character was so different, and she brought so much love to the show. I mean, even just listening to stories of the next-gen cast members who talk about her. She was the mother of the series.
0: Yeah, I have a very soft spot in my heart for her, in part because of Marina Sirtis and how she talks about Majel Barrett. And, you know, it was... She credits Majel with the reason why... Well, and in part, Denise Crosby left. But, you know, at the end of season one, they were looking to get rid of one of the female characters. And before the series started, Majel took her uh, and says, you're coming to do these conventions with me and sort of got the fans on Marina's side so that it probably would not have been Marina Sirtis that would have been cut uh, because the fans already knew her because she was so intertwined with what Majel was doing and she And she credits Major with, you know, just put it, getting her under her wing and she took care
2: of her. and I think I get why people don't necessarily like her. I think you can see that aspect of her that's really extroverted and really confident, maybe a bit loud and a bit garish sometimes, especially in this episode. And there's the Odo episode in Deep Space Nine where you see that other, that really deeply empathic side of her character, which... It really serves to help you love her even more, if you didn't already.
1: Well, you look at her first appearance as Loxana, which was Haven, and she was that annoying Mm mother-in-law character Mm -hmm. that you were kind of supposed to not like. And I'm sure we'll get into the development of her as a character within this episode, because this is truly where we began to see the possibilities of where they could take her.
0: Yeah, she's, you know, starts out, like you said, very loud and overbearing and, you know, she just wants things done her way and this has been arranged marriage and we have to have all the traditions, like she's very into that. And so I think if you see her that way and don't get to the deeper level, like those traditions and culture, like what does that mean to her? I mean, that's part of her identity. I mean, she's always saying, i the holder of the sacred chalice, you know, third rings of Beta Z. The holy and, rings of Beta yes, Z, yeah. Yes.
2: Daughter of the fifth yes, house. Yes,
0: exactly. And so, like, yeah, it can be seen. And I think if you don't understand her character and see her development, it does look very superficial. But, like, that has so much meaning to her, you know, and who she is as a person that I think every time she says it now, especially after... You know, watching these episodes with her, I'm just like, she's very, you know, she knows who she is. And so whenever she says that, man, she's, she's got the confidence. And that's what I love is that example of like, you know who you are and you own it.
2: Well, in Justin's absence, um, Loaxana does admit that the Holy Rings of Beta Z um, are kept in a box in the back of her closet. Um, and she never really cared about them and that is in the TNG novel, Q and Law.
0: Oh, I haven't read it's that one. Because
2: Justin's not here. We might as well mention a novel. I've, I've done my Justin research. Yes,
0: you did. So wow. Yes. Well, let's um, do a quick review of what Half a Life is, in case our listeners uh, forgot. So, Joe, just summarize what Half a Life is about, real quick.
2: Enterprise going to help a civilization whose star is dying, and they meet a scientist who falls in love with Alexandra Troy, and he's going to die, and then they accidentally blow up a star, and then quickly forget about it and run away, essentially.
0: And. He can't stay and be with Loxana because
2: or oh, the main the crux of the episode because this the Kale people of Kalon 2 have this weird rule where everybody has to die at 60.
0: Yeah.
2: And I'm like, I have huge problems with this idea. Yeah. Massive problems. So
0: So Christian, what are your initial thoughts of this episode?
2: My
1: initial thoughts so I watched it a few months ago and my I'm doing a my first rewatch of Next Generation all the way through, and probably ever. I don't think I ever watched front to end ever like that. And I got to it and it just hit me what a powerful episode it is. And not just for the locks on a character. I think that we can look at Temison, who is one of the most powerful guest stars or guest roles ever on Next Generation. And then we have Deanna, who Deanna's role in this episode was just fantastic. I don't think we ever saw her quite in her counselor role as strongly as we did in this episode. And it wasn't even a Deanna episode.
0: Right. Joe, what did you think about this episode when you saw it?
2: Today, I watched it twice today. Mm -hmm. And then it just made me sadder and sadder. I think it's because it's maybe coming up to Christmas time as well. And you invariably think about what the future holds. And then because I worry about everything, then... There'll be a point in the future when there are certain people that won't be here anymore. I thought if I if I keep think, going down this line, I'm just going to start crying and then I'll never be happy. So yeah, that kind of that episode just made me think about what the future holds and made me deeply sad.
0: Yeah, you know, I've seen this episode many, many, many times, um, and it's just always yeah, it's a great episode and it's a good story. And yeah, there's the ageism, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And yeah, there's, you know, good Loxana story, but man, I watched it this week and Christian, like you said, like powerful portrayal, each character, Luxana, Timison, Deanna, like it hit me so much. And I got a little emotionally compromised, Joe, like it, I teared up because of I mean, just the amazing dichotomy between Luxana's passion for life and Timison's culture of this is what has to be done. And he's just so ingrained. And Loxana will make up every reason as to why it's such a stupid tradition. And Timison just comes back every time with his answer and what his belief is. And it's like, how do you combat a belief? You know, you can say everything that you want to and all the logic, but that's not going to sway a belief like that. And that was one of the things that I found really interesting with this episode.
2: Beliefs don't need any logic right. or reasoning behind them. And no can facts. Be deeply irrational. Yep. Like if I wanted to believe there's a an elephant with tentacles that eats candy floss in the sky, I'm like, yeah, I believe that, but nobody can see it. Yeah. And nobody's ever seen it, and nobody will ever see it, but it's up there.
0: Yeah. Because
2: it's a belief. Makes no sense.
0: To him and his culture, like, they all believed it. And she even pointed out, like, you were raised this way. And I love her example of the women's weary wigs with the bird inside the wig, you know? And it's like, it just takes one person to call it out and say, this is crazy. This is uncomfortable. That doesn't serve any purpose.
2: What's the thing about the bird in the wig?
0: So back in (laughs) back in what was it It was Beta Z right and the royalty wore and it just it reminds me of the uh, help me out Christian with the big Marie Antoinette type of wigs I would say and then inside the wig they carried a bird in a cage inside the wig was
2: this in the episode
0: this was in the episode.
2: And I've watched it twice today. Most, done, it was like the craziest of details. The, of and
0: it. it was uncomfortable for the women. And so this one woman, she decided to not wear the wig. And then it, you know, and she was called crazy. And what are you doing? But then eventually she's like, now I'm not wearing a wig because of this one person.
2: Somebody has to cosplay this in Vegas next year. <laughs> a bird in a wig, ancient betazoid queen.
0: I think so. <laughs> Christian, we nominate you. Oh,
2: gladly. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to illegally import some kind of bird into the U.S. and end up in Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> Christian, it has to be here. So we talk about the
1: emotional impact of this episode. What was interesting when I did a my little bit of research yesterday, the scriptwriter of this episode also wrote "The Inner Light," which I think everyone sees as the crux of. Emotion and next generation.
0: Wow, I did not know that.
2: It's really interesting to know the format of the episode. Um, and it focused on two guest characters. Oh, there wasn't really a focus on any of the the main stars that we were, were so used to. And they ran with it, and it really worked as part of the episode.
0: Yeah, like you were saying, you know, Deanna does have an important role. Um, sort of supporting her mother. But it's not, we wouldn't say this is a Deanna episode. We wouldn't say it's any of our main characters. That's interesting you point that out. No. One thing I did notice right at the beginning, I have never seen Picard as timid or scared to walk out into the corridor as I did at the beginning of this episode. I was like, he is seriously, he's checking both ways, making sure the coast is clear. I've never seen that. Made me chuckle so much.
1: Is this the first and only time we ever get a Troy
2: opening log? Oh, I wondered that too.
1: All she says is, to... "My mother is here." Yeah,
0: that's right.
2: <laughs> I'm going to guess it, yes, because it's always card and data. Did mm-hmm. it a couple of times, maybe. Yeah. Well. So.
0: So, um, I wanted to talk about specifically the relationship of Loaxana and Timison because I feel like. You know, this is season four, so we have seen Luxana a couple times, but we really get to see her in a relationship that, you know, really builds her character. But one thing I've found, especially with this rewatch, and I'm not sure, you know, like if I was younger that I didn't really understand, but like they all but show them, you know, Doing the deed. I mean, they start off kissing passionately, and then the next scene is them waking up in the next morning, you know, and him getting out of bed. I'm like, that is pretty darn bold. And they don't in Star Trek do that broadcasting of a relationship ever. I just thought it was very bold in the face this time when I watched it. Did you guys feel that way, or is it just me seeing things?
2: No, I think you're right, but I think in order to fit an initial meeting that turns into a love story in 45 minutes, it has to go really fast. You just have to skip all the first dates and second dates and jump from meeting to whatever base you want to jump into. So, yeah, I think they had to do that. It was really quick, but I think Star Trek relationships are really quick.
0: Yeah, it's your episode of the week, right?
2: Yeah, your love interest of the week.
1: I think, too... You, know, you you look at it through the filter of kind of the message of the show and it was a mature relationship. It wasn't some young couple who just met in 10 forward or something. I mean, this was an an older couple. And I think that might have had a different view or a different impact on us as viewers.
0: You know, and... You're right. And now that I myself am getting older and what I think that this episode did so well that I think could have gone seriously wrong is that she is the one in pursuit. Like she is the one chasing him. And so there is a major stereotype that it could have fallen into that, you know, she's the floozy one. I'll try and choose my words carefully. Um, you know, that she's the loose one that she's, you know, and it could have had a negative impact, but I think they did it so well that they developed the relationship between Timison and the Waxana that it wasn't perceived as just a floozy, just a one night, just a, you know, that this was a serious relationship. And especially like you said, Christian, them being an older couple, like I don't, especially back in the day, you would not see older people having sex. Like that's not in the wheelhouse of what was going on back then. You know, like old people didn't have relationships. Old people didn't do that. It was only the young, you know what I mean? So I thought they did that. It came off very, very well in this episode.
2: I think previously you've seen Loixana be that. I don't think is the right word necessarily. It would be more sexually outgoing, I suppose. She's always looking for a new relationship. But I think this one, that Timison says that she's delightful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just that juxtaposition of Timison being... That kind of Picard kind of character, really reserved, deeply professional, knows what he has to do in order to get the job done. I think Loxana is a butterfly that comes into his kind of sphere of existence and he's yeah. enamoured by her and that's why he says she's delightful. Mm-hmm. It's something new and it's a, a way of being that he's never experienced before. Cause she's looking for something and he didn't know he was looking for something right. but finds out that he does
0: yeah and the conversation that Luoxana and troy have like and you brought that up joe like it's a sexual revolution for women i mean for them to be talking about it and like oh well you you'll have needs too and like this just wasn't done and this episode in star trek just takes it head on and and runs with it and i think they do it so well that it's like Yes, it's not always the man that has the need, and it's not always the young people that have the need. Like this is a natural thing, and we're going to discuss it, and we're not going to to make it not be taboo, you know. And I think they just do such a great job. I love that part of it.
2: So I don't. It's really weird. I don't know about you, Christian, but I don't think I'm capable of seeing it the way Amy sees yeah. it from the female point of view. I just obviously I'm a man, so yeah.
1: And- I did I saw it as very as very different for what we know about Loxana. Because I mean, in the past we've seen her as, you know, looking for a man. I mean the, the second episode she was on was called Manhunt. <laughs> right. So you know, she's always been kind of eager and looking for someone, but it's like this was different because she actually found someone that she wanted to spend her life with. I think it was very empowering to show her as this matriarch character and you know someone who knew what she wanted and was willing to fight for it.
0: Oh, she put up a fight, huh? She tried every angle, every logic, every emotion. You know, going with all the logic, okay, that didn't work. Well, what about your grandson, you know, going it from that side, that point of view like she was trying everything to get him to understand this crazy idea that he had to kill himself because he's turning 60. And as I approach that age, that is way too young. And she's like, you're different, you know, and he's explaining the culture and it's like, you're different. You are alive. You are vivid. You, you know, you can save the planet, the star, you are needed. You have value that was that was a very powerful conversation. That whole point of, like, there's value to your life, and what do you do? You just get rid of the problem. You get rid of the person, and that's gonna get rid of the problem. Oh, that was that was painful when she said that. Like, you just get rid of the people.
2: I think the premise of the people from Kalen to Maybe it's just because I really don't agree with their way of being killing people when they reach sixty. But I think that's a bit of a flawed premise that I think when they've written it they've gone from, okay, people um, live till they're really old and get ill and get sent to, what did Timison call it? Death Watch facilities? Yeah. Uh, just the name is really harsh. We, I don't know what you call them over in the US but we call them like care homes or nursing homes or old folks' homes or whatever. So they've gone from letting people get really ill and old and dying dying horrible deaths to just having going the opposite way and saying, oh no, when you get to this age, you're going to die. Rather than what it probably should be is give people the option as to when it's appropriate for them to die. Because if you're 80, 90, 100 years old, you can still be quite vital and sprightly and of sound mind still be of value to society
0: so joe you're saying you don't really buy that premise but i mean he sort of explained it and it almost makes sense that it's like you know people weren't taking care and they were dying and no one was there so then that's why they created the old folks home if you will and that was a very interesting name that they called them and so it's like well let's just not have anyone get old. I mean, it's sort of a, a to b to c conclusion.
2: Yeah, but they've gone from like they've gone from a where a lot of people get old and die miserable lives alone, yeah, to c or z z z um, where nobody's allowed to die old and alone regardless of how well they are. Yeah. And there's no there's a lot of middle ground in there. Um where people should be given the option. Do are you do you still want to spend what might be the greatest years of your life? Being of service or just enjoying your life, being retired, doing what you want. Are you seventy and you've had a horrible life because you've been really ill? There's so many things as humans that we could get when we're older that it might not be worth living. We should be given the option. So I think to go from one position to the the opposite positions a bit. I don't think it's necessarily the right way to tell the story. I think they could have done it just as effectively if they had some middle ground. Like it was, the society gave them the choice as to when they were going to die, but his family were pushing him to go when he was 60 or something. Mm -hmm. Like having this family obligation rather than a societal. Well, I
1: think the the, the daughter, uh, let's see, daughter's name was...
2: Dara, was that that was Ensign Roe, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Michelle Forbes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. With Cindy Lou Who hair.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. Yes.
1: Uh, but you know, her take on it all was, you know, where is my father going to be laid to rest? Because you know oh. he wouldn't be allowed on the planet. So, you know, where is he going to die? Where is he going to be laid to rest? He won't be with my mom, and then I won't be with him when I die. So, you know, that that was her thought process behind it but it's just to me as the viewer just still seems so one-sided and so selfish because you, like, like you said, Amy, I mean, I think when I first saw this episode, I mean, I was in my teens and, you know, now in my mid forties, it's a very different take on what this episode means.
0: Exactly. And just last weekend, I went out to celebrate my friend's 60th birthday and I was just, I watched the movie and I'm like, that is terrible because this friend, like we go out all the time. Like she's my pal. You know, we always hit up happy hour. Like she's, she's my gal. And to just think that, man, at 60. I mean, she's a dance teacher. She's totally active. She's, oh, man, it just is bizarre. And, and it's like, well, some age had to be picked. So arbitrarily we just chose 60 and it's like, that is way too young. And like I said, when I saw this, yeah, in my teenage and 20s, it's like, oh, yeah, 60 is old. That's, that's not a problem. No, it's not. <laughs> it's so young.
2: <laughs> I don't think 60 was even seen as being old back in the 80s when TNG was out. And I know now they've reclassified what old age technically is. Now the like, middle age is like 45 to 65 Mm -hmm. and then old age starts after 65. I think they've, I don't know if it's worldwide, but certainly in the UK, I think they've reclassified old age as as being later than it was before.
0: Well, there is a lot of age discrimination. Just my dad recently got married and moved to Texas. And nothing on the state of Texas, please listeners, don't. Don't get me, but I mean, so he's in a new location. That's the point I'm trying to make. And he's trying to get a job and he's 72 and he is not getting hired anywhere. And he's putting out resume after resume after resume. And every week when I talk to him, it's like, well, because he's like, oh, they took my resume and resume and I'm getting a call back. And I'm like, well, how, how'd it go? And, no, it's like, and it's, they can't say that it's. Because you're too old, because we have the Age Discrimination in Employment Act, which was Mm -hmm. a law passed in 1967 uh, that protects uh, people who are 40 years and older. And so they can't say specifically, well, it's because you're too old, but they're going to come up with other, you know, and so it definitely is a real thing. And at 40, I'm like, the law covers you being too old at 40. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not too old.
2: (laughs) I'm, yeah, no, I'm not too old for anything. It's outrageous. I'm offended now. I know! For Star Trek in the future, seems really, really young. Even more so. Like, look at Dr. McCoy. Yeah. He was, what, 117, 37, something like that, um, when we saw him in, in Encounter at Farpoint. So 60 just seems like you could be, you're in your prime, almost, in the 24th century yeah, when you're 60. Yeah, because
0: life is being extended
2: no maybe not necessarily for this race but just seemed
0: yeah for this culture an arbitrarily
2: or low mm-hmm. point
0: so one thing that i found one thing that i found interesting was that timmison was to commit suicide so it's like not even a mercy killing like we had wharf asking riker you know to have riker do the deed like, this is, he, Timison would have had to have killed himself. And and I was like, that's pretty harsh as well. Like, not only do you have to die, but you have to kill yourself to, you know, live up to this tradition.
2: That's, that's cold. That's interesting. Um, have you heard of Dignitas? I oh, would say they're in Switzerland. They're an organization in Switzerland that do assisted death for people that feel that they don't want to continue living. And I think it's legal over there. Mm -hmm. But one of the provisions is that you have to be able to administer the drugs yourself.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: So if if you've got, like say, I don't know, motor neuron disease, and you can't hold the drugs in your hand because you don't have that motor uh, control, then you won't be able to take part in the assisted dying. So that's maybe that kind of protects the people that are providing the service. If you do it yourself, it protects them from potential prosecution. So I think that's maybe where that's come from, possibly.
1: I also looked up about uh, Dr. Kevorkian, and Dr. Kevorkian Mm -hmm. came to fame in 1987, and 1990 was when he first performed his uh, assisted suicide on the first person. And this episode aired in 1991. So I'm Ooh. sure that very, very law and order style. I'm sure that there was, a, there was some writing from the headlines going on.
0: Yeah, very topical okay. for that.
2: Wow. I've heard of Dr. Kevorkian, but I couldn't tell you anything about him. Is he an American?
0: Or was he Canadian? Or no, he went up to Canada to escape okay. being persecuted. But yeah, assisted killing.
2: Maybe that's why it's on the kind of periphery of my kind of knowledge. Probably
1: so. I mean he was very controversial, very Very well known at the time.
2: Yeah. Mm. There was a case recently in the UK where a a woman, an English woman, had taken her husband to Switzerland to die. She was arrested by the police for facilitating his death upon her return. So she's, they've had this conversation He's been diagnosed with some horrible disease And given four months to live And it was like, before it gets to the point where I'm in constant pain, or I can't move Or whatever horrible thing's going to happen to me I want to go to Switzerland And they set it all up, and she took him And death was assisted And then she was arrested when she got back home It was a terrible thing don't know how you feel about assisted dying and suicide, but to go through that hardship and grief of losing your husband of however many decades to come home and your your country arrests you for yeah doing what your loved one wanted oh yeah Even just because it's illegal right and that just says to me that the law isn't fit for purpose
0: well yeah like if Timmisson were to leave and you know not perform. Oh, what was the name of the ritual? The resolution, yeah, that he could never come back to his planet, like because the law. And I'm like, that is, yeah, stupid, stupid.
2: But it's, it's weird, like, cause we see with some cultures on Earth, and we see their rituals and their customs, oh, and it like, well, doesn't make any sense to me, just because we've grown up in well, we've all grown up in Western culture, haven't we? So. We're used to the the customs and values of that. And we see something else and we're like, oh, that's just really strange. And we make judgments on it. Mm -hmm. And I think this is just a really extreme example of seeing a, a custom that just goes against everything that I could possibly believe in. It just seems so wrong. So how how is an evolved society? Do we judge that? Do we judge it? Are we allowed to?
0: Well, I think we can... Look at Luoxana because again we know throughout the entire episode how strong she was against this tradition, but in the end she goes down to be there with him for the resolution. Like I, what what do you think about that? Was that the right move? I mean, is that now showing her support of the tradition of the resolution? Can you separate that that she's going? to be with Timison and still disagree with the resolution or is it now lumped together? What do you think?
1: That was actually one of my favorite parts of the episode.
0: Oh my gosh. I it that change.
1: was completely heartbreaking, but it was my, I, I love when Captain Picard is saying goodbye to Timison and he's saying, you know, we can wait a few minutes if you want. And Timison says, no, we've already said our goodbyes. Hmm. And she comes in the room just so sure of herself. And he says to her, or no, she says, it's the custom for your loved ones to join you for this resolution. Is it not? He says, you do not have to do this. And she just says, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. That was it. I mean, mm-hmm. that oh. tears me up every time I watch it. But mm-hmm. I think that it is, I think that it was important because it was closure for her. For this because she did love him and there was no way that she would ever change his mind now i mean so this this was the only way that she would get that sense of goodbye
2: i suppose in a way it was her prolonging her contact with him right up to the point where he went through with the resolution there was more time that she could spend with him mm-hmm. i don't know if i could do it necessarily i get oh. I'm kind of out on the fence about it. I think I get like, say it was Ewan, yeah, oh. and Ewan had decided to go and do this thing. I'd be really against it, but I couldn't help myself but to be there, and everything, every fiber of my being would reel against it. Mm-hmm. And, but I couldn't, I couldn't let him do it on his own. Yeah,
0: you couldn't not be there.
2: Yeah. the The fact is, though, we do it already,
1: and. We see our animals as loved ones. We see our animals as part of our families. And euthanasia, we practice that today with no problem because we love them and we want them not to suffer. Mm -hmm. And when our first cat got really sick and he had a stroke and we took him to the vet, they're like, this is the time we had to make that decision. Do we stay here with him or do we let them do it? You know, He passed away in my lap. And it was mm-hmm. the most precious moment of my entire life and it tore me up. But I would never choose not to be there. Sorry.
2: <laughs> no, no, I've Oh, not you're had... making
0: me think of my kitty, Jeannie. Yeah.
2: If... I've not had to do that yet. We had a family dog one family dog grown up and he died suddenly, which was it was a shock. Um nobody knew it was coming and he just died. Um, so it was kinda okay. Ewan, I know, had dogs and he had to take them to the vet and have them put down just because they were old and in pain. I see that effect that I had on him, but I've never been in the position where I've had to do that. And I can't imagine what it's like. Yeah. Can we change the subject? Because this yeah. is going to get horribly oh. messy in a minute.
0: Yeah, I had oh. Yeah. So, But, I mean, again, euthanasia is a little different because like, you're helping the animal because you're putting it out of its misery. Like, Mm -hmm. it's in pain. Like, when I had to put my cat down, I mean, she was 19 years old, and, you know, she couldn't walk. Just, yeah. And so, what life? But here we have Timison, and, you know, vibrant. It's definitely a dilemma. And the fact that he had the know-how and the connections and the science brain to help save his star. Right, Joe? It said it would have taken decades for someone to get back up to his knowledge and to come up with a, a solution. And it was so weird saying that they were doing all this work to save a star and then just allow their people to die. I thought, again, that was just another great juxtaposition between the storylines.
2: And they said they said also that, um, or Timison said it, that Kalon 2 was their home. And if it wasn't, if the planet wasn't there, then there's no point in them being there. I was like, oh, that seems a bit. Maybe that's just an artifact of their isolationism. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed like a silly thing. Yeah, home's important to you. And family's important. But surely survival trumps everything. And you want your species to continue into the future. And was it, did they say that they, their son only had 40 years left or something? A few decades yeah. left? And he it was going to take just as long to train somebody up? Yeah. So, like, that's the stupidest law you could have. Yeah. It might be tradition. It might have made sense at one point back in the dim and distant future, but not now. Not when there's the, the one person that could save your society. Oh, no, but not. The rules say no, sorry, bye.
0: Yeah, like there's not exceptions to the law everywhere.
2: Everywhere, exactly, yeah. But not here. Silly Calons.
1: Do you two think that this was an actual prime directive issue? Captain Picard said that we can't go against the prime directive for this, but, I mean, wouldn't this not be a prime directive issue because they were a... Uh, they were kind of more on the level of the Federation. It's not like they were an evolving or up and coming race or species.
0: Well, I think when they, Picard was talking about the prime directive was when Lwaxana stormed into his ready room and was like, you can't allow him to kill himself. And he's like, well, the prime directive says we can't, you know, mess with their laws and tradition, which he's right. Once he took asylum, then he should have been granted, and he was granted, uh, you know, and Picard was like when they sent the ships and they're like, don't go back because you think it's going to cause us, you know, we can handle this, you know. Um, But, yeah, I don't think that Picard trying to change the traditions and culture like Luoxana wanted him to do initially. I think that's where the prime directive thing comes into play for me.
2: I thought it was definitely an issue. Of prime directives, you can't just go anywhere they're not members of the Federation you can't just go and kind of tell them they're wrong and their customs and laws are are not right their laws their customs are, yeah they're entitled yeah even though we might disagree with them so I looked up if um, people on earth people of note um, and if we had those same laws on earth what would who would we not have? So, people that you'll probably know, we wouldn't have Debbie Harry and Cher to name two musicians. They'd both be long gone because I think uh, Debbie Harry's in her seventies and Cher's, in Cher's like approaching a thousand or something. Yeah, because Cher's like She's like eighty two. The, the oldest human ever to ever lived. Well, she? She's- Betty White would no longer be with us. Who's Buddy White? Betty White? or Betty White. Joe, do I need to take your gay card? (laughs) No, I thought you said (laughs) Buddy White. And I was like, uh, Buddy White? Like Buddy Holly? I was like, I don't...
0: Well, I don't know who that first person was that you mentioned, Joe.
2: Who, Debbie Harry? Yeah, who's that? Blondie. Blondie, The lead singer from Blondie? Oh! The only reason I know it is because Ewan's like a massive fan. Mm. Okay, so I'm building this list up with like people of even more know. Roald Dahl, the author, who wrote Matilda... James and the Giant Peach, famous British author, okay. like super famous. No, okay. Uh, you know Stewart, we're in America, you know? right? <laughs> yeah, I, I teach elementary. America. I know who he is. Oh. Exactly. America is not the center of the universe, Amy. Yeah, Sorry. I know. I know. Do you know Stephen Hawking? Yes. The, the physicist? Yes. Yeah. He's now dead. I think he died when he was 76. I know. That's why I'm like, bird. why
0: are you bringing him up? Because he's dead.
2: Because he would have been dead... Long before he did die. No, he would have been dead when he was sixty, wouldn't he? <laughs> oh. And not when he when he did die, which was when he was seventy-six. And he was still doing physics. He was still writing papers about um, supermassive black holes. Okay, and the, so then the there would have the been universe.
0: some contributions of his that we would have missed. Exactly. Okay. See now, there I'm following your train of thought. Yes.
2: Okay. Peter Higgs. Have you heard of Peter Higgs? You had heard of the Higgs boson, the god particle. Yes. We've talked yes. about it
0: on a science episode before. We, we have indeed, See, yes. He is
2: the he's the physicist that basically won the Nobel Prize for its discovery. And did and he, he do that in, in his sixties? Sure. Okay. I Don't know. Not really possibly. Anyway, this list will continue to build. Okay. Ian Friggan McKellen.
0: Okay, I know who him, only because of Sir Patrick Stewart.
2: And Sir Patrick Stewart. Yes. And we wouldn't, therefore, not have any Picard coming out next month. Yes. Because this silly K-Law in law. Yeah. Patrick Stewart would have to have died when he was 60.
0: No X-Men. That's just,
2: oh. Mm-hmm. No Logan. Yeah. That's, it. that's all we really have to say about it. That's how stupid no the is. No William Shatner. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we're on the topic of what we might not have. Without this episode, we might not have had an Ensign Row, since, as right. Joe said earlier, we said yeah. earlier, Michelle Forbes was there, and then we might not have had Deep Space Nine like we had it, because Ensign Row was originally supposed to be
2: Kira. Mm-hmm. I really, I'm glad. Maybe it's just hindsight. I'm glad that didn't happen, because I always found Ensign Row just a bit abrasive. Kira was. Too. I think she she's she was she was really angry in the first yeah. like season. Um but there's something about Nana Visitor that you just have to love. Yeah. And that's maybe just because we've seen all seven seasons and you just fall in love with that character, and then you meet them at STLV, and yeah. you you see how great they are as humans.
0: Alright, Joe, did we just destroy a star?
2: Yes. And we didn't hear any mention of it again. Like they literally blew up a star. Yes, okay, there wasn't any life forms in that star system. There weren't any ships that they could detect, but they still destroyed a star.
0: Yeah. So this and was a practice away. star, right? Yes. Yeah.
2: They found a wee star that was really similar to the star in the Kalon system, and they tested out there. Their new photon torpedoes to re-engage the helium fusion within the star, mm-hmm. and they blew it up, and then literally ran away.
0: See, they don't know Work to
2: engage is what Picard says. Yeah, and they don't know what that does to. Remember, generations. Thank
0: you. I was just going to bring that up. They don't understand the consequences and like how it's changing gravity and everything.
2: Ah, uh-huh. and course corrections. Yes. And Celestial navigation and how the dolphins feel about that,
0: right?
2: And cetacean ops, yeah. and they're going to be like, Oh, we're so confused, a star's just been blown up. Oh, my sensors, oh. it's just really reckless. It's like that time Picard thought it was okay to fire phasers at the acetone assimilators, mind in the booby trap. Oh, and we spoke about yes, it like yes. a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, just
0: okay. So, let me let me ask you this. And I know it's a big jump, but if you can see the similarities, I hope that you can. So Mm -hmm. it was a practice star. There was no one around. And so it was for educational purposes. Now, my kids try... (laughs) Listen, listen, listen. My kids try to make this jump with me, like when I pass out a worksheet or, you know, something that I need them to write on. And in math, we write a lot. And I was passing papers back that had already been graded. And it had been a while. So the kids were getting like three, four papers back. And they're like, Miss Nelson, do you know how many trees died for this? And I was like, because, you know, we have very green, aware, conscientious, aware generations coming up. And I tell my kids every single time, I said, you know what, if it's for education, it's worth it because you are getting so much more. So the fact that a tree died for you to learn math, I'm okay with. So I tell my kids this. So is it okay because they were, this is their education for this practice round? By that. Do you see where I'm going with that?
2: No. Yeah, I do see where you're going. I don't. Don't agree. You can't just... the. It's for education. It's for any reason, isn't a justification okay. for doing what you need to do? Like, so imagine, imagine we find narwhal tusks are um, contain cures for cancer. So we're going to kill all the narwhals to get their tusks to cure cancer. I'm like, no, we'll, uh, we'll
1: clone them. We can clone now.
2: Do you I mean you can't just make this blanket rule for something and say it's okay?
0: So the ends don't justify the means.
2: Not even close. Okay. Not blowing up a star just to see if your re experiment works. But, nah.
0: Joe, isn't that the scientific method?
2: <laughs> to blow up stars? Mm, no.
0: To do practice rounds, gather information?
2: It's, yeah, it's taking it to extremes though, isn't it?
0: Okay. So it, it is the scientific a star, method.
2: A star. A star. It blew up.
0: Better that star than their star.
2: It's going to die anyway. There's surely better ways to test it.
0: Yeah, simulations, I guess.
2: Yeah, holodeck. I'm getting angry with these Kalon folk. They reminded me of the Kalons from the Orville. Different oh style, yeah. Though.
0: All right. Well, let's get to our final thoughts, Christian. Let's start with you. What do you think about Half a Life and our discussion today?
1: Well, I might go off in a little tangent, so bear with Please me. Please do. I love this episode. I love what it shows that. Major was capable of. It opened up the door for her, for her future episodes. I mean, cost of living. Don't, don't hate me, truck community. Cost of living is my favorite episode of Star Trek of all time. The Locks on a Mudbath episode. Okay. To me, it's just perfect. It's just enjoyable. It shows more of her as just the matron and wonderful. Then we get to Dark Page, which is another one of my all-time favorite episodes, very heavy, but I think that this episode marked a change in Majel as a person. I think that, you know, this time, we know that Jean must have been sick, and I think that from here on out, her character was a way of an outlet for her, in a sense, to have her grief over losing Jean. So, like, at this time, he was still around, but, you know, Dark Page especially. I mean, I think that she was mourning the loss of Jean. So, to me, you know, this is just the beginning of one of my favorite Star Trek characters. (laughs)
2: It's really interesting. She's never been one of my favorite characters, but like every episode of Earl Grey that I'm on, I know I've said it a thousand times before and I'll say it for another thousand times that you learn so much from other people's perspectives and what they see so it's like instead of just kind of watching an episode through my own two eyes, I'm watching it through like Amy's and Justin's eyes as well and you Christian or whoever the guest is we all have different experiences of all the different lives so we all see different things in episodes Um, with that I suppose a I appreciate L'Oxana more. Majel barrett Roddenbury is just a wonderful actress because she plays... You can tell that she's her species is empathic just by the way she portrays it. She's not doing anything particularly empathic, but she's just responding appropriately to behaviour.
0: Yeah, I... Oh, gosh, agree with you so much on that. When you said that, like, she does show... That her race is empathic and how she, it's funny every time she, you know, tells John Luke, like even at the beginning of this episode, you were thinking about me. Well, she's not wrong because he was trying to hide from her, you know, but like she has and they treat it lightly, but she really provided something that Timison didn't even know that he wanted or needed at that time, you know, and this joy and this love of life and every single episode, even, you know, in dark page where it, she just really loves life. And so you can see that. And, you know, I think some people, like we said at the beginning can view Luoxana as loud and overbearing and obnoxious and, but it's that passion, it's that confidence. And for me, when I see Luoxana she is everything that I am not. And it's like, I just, her, how outgoing she is and self-confident is exactly what I want to be. And it's just, I love seeing that character. And so even though I don't identify with her, I still recognize what she brings to the cast of Next Gen and this Stuffy Captain Picard and always behaving data, you know. And so for her to bring that is so amazing and to see her depth of character. And you're right. I really do enjoy all of the episodes that she is in, like you were saying, cost of living and manhunt. I, I just, I, I love them all. So I'm so glad we got to talk about Lawaksana today.
2: Can I ask a question? Is there, all the wee nuts and bolts of Loaxana are rearranging themselves in my head. Is her confidence and her extrovert nature a cover for her vulnerability? Because she always seems to be looking.
1: I, I think you see that in the Odo episode and the mm. turbo lift on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah I think you know, especially right. when she takes her wig off and she kind of shows her true self.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point.
0: Well, I think you have both like you can be confident and still be vulnerable like that's where you get your humility from you know Mm
2: -hmm. i think i am an introverted extrovert if there is such a thing because i'm naturally i know every time i say this to people people like no you're not Mm -hmm. i am naturally quite shy don't i wouldn't walk up to somebody and strike up a conversation like in the masquerade bar in vegas i wouldn't walk up to some random stranger and go oh star trek be my new best friend, because I'm quite shy and I'd like i rather people approach me. But there's a side to me that's really extroverted and really outgoing. So, like, before you come on, Christian, Amy and I were talking about what I've been doing for the past two days, our Christmas pantomime in school, and I was Elsa from Frozen. I was full dragged up on stage in school as a Disney princess. Naturally, that's not a side of me that necessarily comes out a lot of the time. But there is—it's like the curling nescos inside. We are a, a community of different individuals and different aspects mm. of our personalities, and some of them are more prominent than others. Um, and sometimes some come out, and sometimes others come out.
0: Yeah, I am exactly like you, Joe. Like it's—it is. I, people who know me outside of Trek would agree with me and say, "Yeah, I'm—I'm I'm totally an introvert." Um, but my Trek. Persona is completely different, and yeah, it's just different at STLV for some reason. And maybe it's it's okay to be
2: you. You let your hair down. Is it me? Amongst.
0: It's not me, though. That's what's weird, you know, because I am not normally. I would say I'm pretty social at STLV. Yeah,
2: oh, I've seen you. <laughs> you are very social.
0: <laughs> yeah. Social's putting it nicely.
2: <laughs> I think we're both like that though. We're kind of Yeah. social butterflies.
0: I know, just going from one group to another, uh-huh. I mean, but that's because like number one, not everyone is there all the time, so you just have to make sure to say hi and mm-hmm. love on everyone that's there that I don't get to see normally, you know? And so there's that time constraint that is going to make me come out of my shell a little bit more you know
2: yeah okay it's kind of forced
0: yeah and that there's the trek family feel that you get you know especially with podcasting and you know getting to know the listeners and getting to know people who just love trek like you do so that's another safe place like you were saying christian star trek is safe and so it's like there's that that sort of brings me out of my shell a little bit more so it's like the the stars are aligned at STLV where I feel okay to not be my normal introverted self.
2: It's interesting. Um the one and only time as an adult I had a, a birthday party was when I was thirty. And it's for a very good reason that I will never have a birthday party again. It's because I I invited like all my different groups of friends. So there was mm. family, there was friends from school, there was friends from university, there were work colleagues and there were other people and I just felt really uncomfortable having everybody from all my walks of life in the same room because it really highlighted to me all the little idiosyncrasies in my behaviour in the different ways I, I behave with different groups of people. And it's the same me with all of them but they're just little things that how casual your conversation is or how formal your conversation is all those little behaviors that creep in and how you adjust your behavior with certain groups of people and that just highlighted to me I was like I really don't like this so it was my introvert came out in a situation where my extrovert should have probably been there instead
1: oh I, I am definitely more introverted than extroverted and I think I think back to the two times I've been to SDLV, and and that's not who you see the rest of the year because for me, it's not sustainable. I need to have quiet time. I need to have alone time. I need to have just gel time, especially, you know, we're all in the education field. So we all have colleagues that we work with every day. We have students we work with every day. Some of us have very difficult students that we work with every day. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I just, I need that time to just gel. And when my partner wants to get together and have friends, I mean, it's like I I need to have advanced notice of this so I can wrap my head around it sometimes.
2: Get in the right headspace. I've realized I'm quite a, a homebody. I quite like being in our flat. And I've realized as well that when I travel anywhere, I'm really safety conscious. I'm not partic- I would love to be really adventurous and go, go on, like, safari to Africa or go and, like, travel the Middle East or somewhere, but I'm like, oh, you know, bad things happen to people when they go like anywhere, so I'd rather probably just stay in my house and I know I'm like nice and safe and secure and this is my security blanket from the world.
0: Joe, I just came back from Santiago with all the protests and I was all fine.
2: I know, you were fine, I was terrified Aww. for you. Didn't sleep a wink for the whole time you were away.
0: <laughs> well, Christian, thank you so much for joining us here on Earl Grey. We absolutely loved having you on. Glad you agreed to come on mic with us.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I I hope that my audio issues aren't too terrible for those listeners.
2: <laughs> we, it's just our fourth guest, the hummingbird, <laughs> the hummingbird <laughs> helicopter.
1: It's those black helicopters flying overhead.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're looking for
1: you.
0: Well, where can people uh, find you out there on the interwebs to continue this great discussion and uh, tell you you're wrong about cost of living? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bring it. You can at me. <laughs> um, I hang around the Babel conference. You'll see me popping in and out of there. And then on Twitter, my handle is Jewel underscore zero five. That's J-U-E-L underscore zero five.
0: All right. It's been so much fun talking about half a life, but it isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM.
1: Previously on Trek.fm, continuing mission. Why they killed that officer, what they have to do with Project Perseus. Can I just, can I just throw my two cents worth in and say, I I know who they are. They're Smurfs. Oh, if only. on the planet Smurfia. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me I'm right if you insist sure you're right you're right you're not but I'll tell you oh no I've ruined it I've ruined it for everybody (laughs) so um, yeah that's the first mystery and then a series of other mysteries happen as it becomes clear that on at least one other of the visionary class ships that have now they're now well on their way outside Federation space that there was a saboteur Hmm. Earl Grey.
0: But he also, he, you know, the first day of shooting, I shook his hand and I said, Mr. Nimoy, you seem to think I, I know what I'm doing
1: here, but I like really don't. And he had said, he had said to me in the, in the, in the audition for for the Vulcan uh, um, mystique,
0: think 1000 years of wisdom behind the eyes. And I thought,
1: oh, my goodness, that's a tall order. Yeah, that's a lot, that's a lot to, to put in the eyes. <laughs> Literary Treks. We're not messing around anymore. The reset button is gone. Characters' lives are going to move forward. Fortunes are going to change. When things happen, you can take it seriously. It's not all just going to get forgotten by the time the next book comes out next month. This is going to be something that is going to carry forward and is going to have lasting repercussions on all of the literary books, not just the ones written by Mac, not just the ones in this particular sub but by joining them all together and having nods to the Star Trek Corps of Engineers, to Voyager, to DS9, to Enterprise. Standard Orbit. We've had some, some various uh, folks and, you know, uh, guest star roles and things that had passed here and there. Um, you know, the last year or so, Um, And and all of that is sad, but when when somebody who was really a part of the foundation of what Star Trek is and what it became, it really hits you kind of hard.
2: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV the desktop apple podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published and please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others find the show
0: if you're not an apple user we've got you covered as well you can find our shows on google podcasts stitcher TuneIn, spreaker soundcloud youtube in most third-party apps and you can stream and download the mp3 file from our website or grab the rss link
2: We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners' group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up.
0: If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at Trek FM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So Joe, where
2: Okay, Amy. Amy. Uh-oh. Amy. Yes. Do you Joe. want a bonus question?
0: Bonus question, bring it.
2: If there was a famous mathematician from history that you could bring back, who would it be?
0: I am going to say Oh, that one is so tough because there's so many I would like so to many, meet. So yeah. many, yeah. I'm going to go just only because I was talking about it recently to a friend, um, but way back ancient Greece to Eratosthenes. And okay. he, oh, do you know him?
2: No, oh, did okay. I look like uh, I recognize the name? Oh, Eratosthenes. I can't even say the name. Eratosthenes. Yes,
0: that's correct.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: So he uh, created the sieve of Eratosthenes, that was the first algorithm to uh, find prime numbers.
2: Whoa, yeah, yeah. that would be it's quite important in terms of communication with alien civilizations exactly. to prove Contact. that you know what prime numbers yeah. are. Wow, nice. So it was a mathematician, obviously mathematicians are less on my.
0: Well, if you want to change it to.
2: No, I think scientist. I'll go with mathematicians. Okay. I think I might I do Fermat. <gasps> Because now apparently he wrote in the margins that he found a proof. Yeah. If we brought him back, we could quiz him as to whether or not that was true.
0: It has been proved now,
2: you know. I know, but what was his proof? Yeah,
0: I'd like to know. Well, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not thinking about people you would like to bring back from the dead?
2: (laughs) How creepy. (laughs) When I'm not doing that... Uh, You can get me on the Babel Conference. You can tweet me on Twitter at joeyjoe77uk. Or you can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com.
0: And listeners, Joe needs an email. It's been a while.
2: I have not had emails in quite a while. But please don't flood me with emails. Like, limit it to one or two. Just decide amongst yourselves who's going to email me. Where can people contact you when you're not freezing to death in the frozen wasteland that is las vegas
0: well when i'm not doing that when i'm enjoying the lovely hot temperatures in july and august you can find me on twitter at miss amy nelson and you can find me there in the babel conference
2: it's so funny when we come to your where can we contact you nowadays? I know. Cause it's cause not I ing- it used to be ingrained. I'm a host on Earl Grey and the Edge and the Line and the curved surface and the face <laughs> I know and I've really the perimeter.
0: I have a new podcast, but I'm gonna wait till next week to reveal it. Oh. So I do have another project in the works, but we'll we'll wait. <laughs> Listeners, you'll have to wait.
2: Yeah. I'm excited. You heard it here first? If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's patreo dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce host, and distribute these shows each month. we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm.
0: We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Joe Keegan, and Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So... Join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey.
2: Only 14 years left if you live on Cailin 2, Amy.
0: Great joy and gratitude. Not for the 14 years, though.